Hey there, everybody. It's Taylor dropping in real quick before the podcast today. This is episode 67, the third in our series of Denis 2049. Blade Runner 2049 comes out October 6th. We're getting into the good stuff. We're almost to the entirely English stuff. (laughs) One more foreign film. This week's is an English one, actually, about a school shooting from 1989, I believe. It was a darker conversation, but still a very worthwhile and I think beautiful conversation about a beautiful movie. That is a weird thing to say, but it's really powerful. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sam here, so check it out. It's called Polytechnique. We'll be back next week with the next movie, Incendies. I-N-C-E-N-D-I-E-S. 2011. Go watch that one. That'll be next week. It is about a dying Middle Eastern woman living in Montreal who leaves separate letters to her twin children to be read once she passes away. Hmm. I haven't watched it yet, obviously. That's a popular one, so go watch that and enjoy this conversation about Polytechnique. Stay tuned to the foxworthypodcast.com got written content on there mondays and fridays sam and i are always doing some fireside chats for each movie and stay tuned as things are starting to ramp up around here survivor starts at the end of this month so we'll get some previews for that soon we're also working on some technical stuff that i don't need to get into but you may notice that not all of our podcasts are available to download at this particular moment that should be resolved pretty soon after you listen to this hopefully but shouldn't be a problem for too long anyway stay tuned go review us on itunes if you haven't yet which i know for a fact that you haven't for the most part and that's it enjoy the episode come back next time Welcome to the Foxworthy Podcast. I am Taylor Gaines. I'm here with my friend Sam Hensel. How are you, Sam? I'm pretty sad. <laughs> oh, that was a tough watch, Taylor. That was a tough watch. Yeah, that was uh, a challenge, I would say. We watched the third movie of Denis Villeneuve in our Denis 2049 series leading up to Blade Runner 2049. And it's a pretty sad one, I would say. That was heavy. Yeah. Ugh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's called Polytechnique, and it is about a school shooting. And I wasn't alive in 1989, but a little bit of research on the subject tells me that school shootings weren't really a thing until this happened. And yeah. the movie was released 20 years after, 20 years after the original shooting at this school, which I will probably butcher the pronunciation, but it's Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. And Sounds good. Basically, this is a black and white, largely fictional retelling of the events where 14 women were killed by a misogynist college student who 
apparently there's a lot of debate as to what his mental state was and how much the media affected him and things like that, but he felt like feminists were threatening his livelihood or something of the sort and went onto the campus on December 6th, 1989 with a rifle and a hunting knife and shot 28 people. And like I said, he killed 14 women because he was targeting them specifically. Apparently he also injured four men, I think, and injured several other women. I, I can't find the number in front of me right now, but he also ended up committing suicide at the end. So this is definitely a dark subject and a dark movie, but it was a really well-made movie. It was really good. This is sort of one of those movies like 12 Years a Slave-esque where you mm-hmm. probably just watch it once and you respect it and then yeah. you kind of just leave it behind. Yeah. So we'll talk yeah, about yeah. it. I think that's about as into the factual stuff as I want to get. I might read a little bit from the note that the guy left because it's in the movie. but And this is one of those things where it's not like we don't speculate that he was, he's a misogynist because he only killed women. He explicitly states it in his note, and he is several references in his life of saying women and female engineers are specifically are the reason I'm failing and the reason society is failing or something like that. So it's very explicitly misogynist. Oh, yeah, very much so. I think one of the quotes that I wrote down from his letter is, he wants to send feminists who have always ruined my life to meet their maker. Yeah, it's definitely dark, but I think the way we want to handle it is to just talk about the movie and how effective it is at telling this particular story. And they do say at the beginning that the characters are fictionalized heavily. And as we mentioned, the suicide note more or less that he writes on the day of the shooting is word for word from the real life one. They refer to him as the killer in the movie. They don't use his name. And I assume all the other characters are, I'm sure they might've pulled from some real life stuff, but the names are fictionalized and things like that. So yeah, like I was reading somewhere, the sort of climactic scene where he goes into a, a classroom and separates the men and women and only shoots the women. He shot nine of them and six died in real life, which is similar to what happened in the movie too. Right. So I think that, like some of the, the technical, I think a lot more people die in the movie, but some of the event aspects of it are true. It's just the characters themselves that are different, I think. Yeah. And this is not a long movie. It's, what was it, an hour, 17 minutes? I it guess? was an hour, 17, but it felt like three and a half hours. Yeah. That was... I, I guess where I would want to start with the filmmaking of this movie yeah. is that the camera, to me, felt like... Not like a character in the way that sometimes a camera can feel like a character by like winking at you or like being yeah. clever or something or yeah being and like, not in the cloverfield type way where it's like literally the camera is being held by a character. right and it wasn't like super tactile or anything like that right. but it felt like the camera was us in the room basically in a way that not it didn't draw attention to itself but it was noticeable to me as opposed to just a like cable tv retelling of this if that makes sense yeah it was very carefully considered but the thing i I wanted to say about that is because of that and a lot of other things that i'm sure we'll talk about i've like like people use the phrase 
I was on the edge of my seat a lot or whatever, my heart was pounding or blah, whatever right. phrase you might want to use. I can't remember the last time I was so like physically tense watching yeah. a movie because it's one of those things like a terrorist attack or something where you never imagine yourself mm-hmm. in that situation and seeing what it might have been like on the inside of this was like almost too much to handle at several points in this. Especially, it hit me the strongest in, well, there's the very beginning, but in the very beginning when the very first, like, shot, it really takes you by surprise because it looks like it's just a normal day at school. The very first shot and literally his first shot as far as the movie is concerned is when they're making copies in, like, the opening scene and all of a sudden you just hear a couple gunshots. You don't see the shooter. You don't even see him shooting. You just see people get hit by gunshots and then there's this, like, really chilling five to ten seconds where people are just looking around. Like, they haven't even reacted yet. They haven't gotten up. They haven't. Nobody screamed. The people that got shot just kind of fell to the ground and they're looking at themselves, and it's just dead silent. And everyone's like, oh, crap. And then they and then they go. It's, it's like one of those things where, like, you're like, go, go, go. Well, this is what I would do in this situation. But honestly, I think that's the most realistic part of it. It's the whole, like, completely, when you're completely blindsided, that's how it would go, probably. And a lot of that is because of the sheer normalcy of the setting of like a college campus. I mean, you and I were recently at a college campus. I guess it's getting a couple fur- of It's getting further yeah, in our past running. every day. It's just not something you imagine. Like the scene where the killer. I'm sort of skipping around here, but yeah, he initially gets to the school and kind of walks around the student union and walks into an office. I can't remember what he was doing, but he sat with a secretary looking at him for a while. Yeah. And eventually I believe he went back to his car before coming back in to start shooting people. Basically there was something so strange about watching him just walk around and everything just going on as normal. And like you mentioned with the copier scene, like the reason that people, it seems don't react is because you just, you would never expect something like that to happen. So why would your mind even be in that place? It was just, it takes a second for it to set in, yeah. It's, and the way it was presented was very... Like, it, it wasn't overly dramatic, or... I don't know if cheesy is the right word, but you could definitely see this being done distastefully or trying to make somebody too much of a hero or, or you know, obviously right. making the killer, like, a supervillain or something. Yeah, but, right. Another thing that struck me about him was like the almost normalcy of his life in in the beginning of the movie. Like they they mirror this later, but he gets up and makes his mm-hmm. bed and sits down and I think he ate breakfast or something. I just remember writing down even a killer makes his bed. I Yeah, and, that's it, it was it was I remember thinking how chilling it was of how he, like how normal his life is or how human he is like the, our natural instinct is almost to think he's like coming up from hell out of a like in a demon form and then just coming and shooting the school or he's like sitting in his basement just oh, this creepy guy or something but he has roommates and he just sits there and he uh he shaves like there's this like the first couple like the second and third scene are, are uh the sort of juxtaposition between him getting ready in this frat style messy house dorm or whatever um and then the two girls getting ready right after and it's like they both do similar things they both shave they both consider their clothing they both 
like eat a little bit of food or something and go to class. Like for a little bit, I was like, oh, they're trying to humanize them and make them look human. But, and it does do that. But it also is saying that like, even these normal looking humans can ah, be that crazy or be that. Yeah. There's a complication to it. And, and like that really struck me because that's something I've actually experienced in real life. I don't remember if I've told you this story off the podcast or not, but at my job, I work at a newspaper in uh, North Florida. We had a guy who, before I started there, he walked into his house really late at night and tried to kill his entire family and wound up killing his 14-year-old son and his wife and his daughter, who was about to go to college, I believe. She survived. But one of the first things I had to do, the one of the first stories I had to cover was this guy's trial. And what really struck me sitting in the courtroom with him 10 feet away from me across a little barricade in a courtroom was just that he just seemed like a normal guy. And it's hard to look at people. I mean, there are exceptions in history, obviously. But you don't look at people and just think, oh, they're capable of evil. And I thought mm-hmm. that was something that this movie captured really well and was kind of powerful. And we'll talk more about the ending later, but it it just kind of asked questions without prompting too hard or trying too hard to answer them. Yeah, and they do they we're talking a little bit a second ago about how it doesn't over dramatic dramatize. And I think that is like it's one of those things where the director knows sort of the material that he has and he knows how strong it is and doesn't feel the need to play it up. Um, it actually kind of in some ways reminded me of Dunkirk a little bit where I personally love that movie. Um, but the, uh, not, <laughs> I'm implying that you don't love it, but I'm just saying like, I, I love it. So there's a disclaimer on that, but it reminds me of it in the sense that it's one of those few movies where the gunshots feel so loud, like you can feel it in your chest where, um, they could have played really dramatic, scary music. They could have tried to do jump scares in this movie. They didn't. It was cold realism where it just says, we're going to follow this guy into the school and it's going to be enough to make you cold, to chill you. And it's like, not that they're doing that just for that effect, but it, the effect that it does have is that I can feel the gunshots in my chest and it'll go silent for a second. And then you hear it again and you're like, count, you can count the gunshots in your head as it's going like subconsciously because it's so powerful and palpable. It's interesting that you mentioned like the overdramatic music because thinking back on it, I don't, I was so, I guess, captivated or something that I don't remember if there was music in this. Yeah, there's like in the very beginning and then after the shooting happens and the main kind of good guy is driving to his mom's house, there's like a guitar plucking type thing. Uh, other than that, there's a couple diegetic songs. Like they play a techno mm. version of Tainted yeah. Love. Yeah. Uh, and they, but that's like in the, kids are playing that literally in the movie. The characters are playing that like they can hear that in the movie. It's not a track. It's not scored or anything like that. So it's, it, yeah, that's, they don't use the music. They let the, the actions speak for themselves. I thought that was. And because we were just talking about humanity sort of and everything that it can encapsulate without us thinking about it too much, I was struck by how amplified every action felt in the environment yeah. of knowing what was going to happen. Like the main girl who was played by, I believe, Kareen Vanass. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. 
Uh, by the way, the actress who I just tried to say her name, she helped Cream produce Vanessa. the movie. She helped produce the movie, and she had wanted to make a movie about this incident for years. And apparently, she was the one who helped secure Villeneuve for the film. This is what Wikipedia says: At the time, was respected for making the 2000 film Maelstrom. I said the talking fish is what sold her on the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He asserted it was not too soon for the film and that there was an important conversation to be had. The school gave them the right to uh, use the campus to film the movie, but they didn't do it to be respectful. They filmed it somewhere else. Uh, What I was about to say is that there's a scene in the beginning where she's just getting dressed in the morning. Right. And a simple, like, boring daily action like that even kind Mm -hmm. of felt like, oh, my God, she might be getting dressed for the last time. The last time. It was eerie. Let me give sort of a synopsis. I mean, we've pretty much alluded to the entire killer plotline because he wakes up and does stuff like we mentioned and then writes his suicide note and then goes to school, walks around for a while, and then pulls out his gun and starts killing people. And we'll talk more about the classroom scene later, but it ends with him killing himself and then the girl who i just mentioned her name's valerie in the movie she is pretty much the main character right i would say it's her her and and then like two b characters she is an engineering student is it mechanical it is right yes yeah not civil mechanical engineering and she is on the day of the shooting doing an interview for an internship she has a friend and roommate who's supporting her, and then there's this guy who's their friend. Basically, we'll talk more about her internship interview in a minute, too, but she gets this internship, goes to class, gives her notes to the other guy. He comes to class after he copies them at the aforementioned copier that you were talking about where the opening scene takes place. Right. The movie is framed in sort of a surprising way, spoiler alert, I guess, where... He is the protagonist for the second third of the movie, basically. Right. Trying to notify people and save as many people as he can. And his story ends tragically. We, we can talk about that. And then mm-hmm. she is the protagonist for the third part of the movie. The uh, third third, I guess. And she's basically just trying to survive. Well, I think that the the story is told through those through three characters and uh the shooter takes over the first third the main i want to say his name's eric is what this imdb is telling me uh is the kind of good guy who's in the mechanical engineering class he takes over the, i don't know if that's a bad guy it's probably pronounced eric alec jean francois i think is the, is the good guy's name i don't know whatever jean we'll call him jean um he takes over the second part where he is running around saving people that's like he goes from sort of the beginning of the shooting to the end of it and then the third, the girl, the main girl, Valerie, does, and it's all overlapping. She does the third part, yeah. And they each have their own versions of events that happen. And some of it, like I remember the from the shooter's perspective, or his, or the guy's perspective, when he's when the shooter walks in the class to split them up, they kind of don't show what happens, and then they just kind of show what happens without showing what happens. And I remember being so relieved because I didn't want to see that happen, and then. The third part with it a different perspective. Back. Yeah, so it gives you a bunch of different angles, and it does use different sort of timelines, not in a Christopher Nolan degree, but like just kind of at different starting and ending points. Um, just almost to like 
build the tension and surprise in like really subtle, unshowy, yes. effective ways. Exactly. Yeah. We might as well get into what happens. There's a little bit of a surprise, but largely the effect of this movie probably won't be lost on you, even if you know what happens. So I'd say we just get into it. Yeah. The first thing I want to talk about is the way that sexism is addressed in this movie. The interesting thing that happens, and, and you mentioned that you might have noticed a few more things that you could point out, but the interesting thing that I, I that is very apparent is when she goes to do her internship interview the guy who's interviewing her is like very casually sexist sort of she says uh, oh I, mechanical engineering or something and he's like oh i thought you'd do chemical right and sh- she's like what are you talking about and he's like oh well you know chemical's easier as yeah, if that you have one of kids is what he's like well i was gonna say as if that wasn't enough he he basically doubles down on it and he's like oh i i meant easier for raising a family like as if that's somehow less sexist. Yes, <laughs> that was a good one. The thing about this movie is it shows you the sort of the entire spectrum of sexism. Where like obviously the main obvious one is the the guy blaming all of his problems on women and feminists. Then there's that one, which is a really obvious sort of day to day one. So there's and maybe I'm like nit sort of nitpicking the actions of people in the situation, but there's one situation where the when the killer walks into the classroom and splits up the guys, the teacher, and then he lets the guys leave, the teacher's like, "All right, let's get out of here. No questions asked." I mean, if you're if you're in that in that classroom and he lets half the class go and he's gonna stay with the other half, you know what's gonna happen. And right. one of the other guy, the main guy, wanted to stay, but the teacher, and this is probably just, it's probably more cowardice than sexism, but he was like very quick to usher the guys out. A smaller, less noticeable one, and I, maybe I was just looking for it, was the girl, the best friend in the beginning of the movie, is walking down an empty hallway. And there's a guy leaning against the locker and he like, she's like walking by and is approaching him for like 20 or 30 feet. And he looks up and sees her and looks away and he does like a double and a triple and like a quadruple take on her where he's like very obviously unashamedly checking her out. And I thought that is like sort of a, a, a nod at the fact that it, it kind of goes on subconsciously as well. And maybe I'm reading too far into that one little transition scene, but that's what it appeared to me. And the killer has a very interesting relationship with women, other than the fact that he wants to kill all of them, too, I thought. Where he writes a letter to his mom before killing anyone. Um, and then and he basically says, I'm sorry, or like something kind of dismissive for what he was about to do. But still, he's the only person he's talking to is his mother, which I thought was really interesting. One of the first scenes where he's sitting in his room before he goes to bed the night before He's like sitting there. I guess I don't know if he's like watching the women change, but he's he like turns off the lights so they don't know he's watching. He's watching them. Um, he has a thing for watching them, I guess. And I don't know what to make of that. I mean, but. it almost strikes me as one of those things where he's like, "Oh, I can't have this. Yes. Therefore, yeah. they hate me." Yeah, and I actually thought that scene was a really this the something that this movie does really interestingly, especially in the beginning, is mess with perspective in a lot of ways, where. In a situation like this, it's very disorienting as it is, and sort of empathetic perspectives towards killers are very hard. So they sort of force certain perspectives on you. Like the very first shot where you see it from not necessarily the perspective's point of view, but his angle of vision where he, you see that people get shot instead of seeing him shoot the people. And then that scene where he's looking at the women, we're watching him watch women. We're not watching, like in most movies, it'll cut to what he's looking at. 
but it's most like 90% of that shot is just focused on his face watching them. So obviously we have a whole different perspective watching the movie because from the beginning, you know what it's about because they give it to you sort of in that opening scene with the copier. So it it really is like, and, and I appreciated the way that the themes and different statements, like we're talking about sexism, all felt perfectly calibrated in a way that suggested things strongly enough to make you really think about them, but didn't beat on them so much that you felt like it was, you know, it it wasn't like, this is everyone's fault that this happened because everyone's sexist. It was like a really good balance of those things. It was, yeah, it wasn't like an after-school special, basically, which was great. They didn't try and sell you on this, like uh, any sort of morals to it. They didn't even do the a thing that I feel like is more common now of what kind of what you were alluding to where it's like, we drove him to this sort of a thing. Like that's not in there really. It's basically, it's a snapshot of an event and it's very claustrophobic in that way. I think where the way that they, we follow certain characters, we never get grand context. We never get a big scope of what's going on. Uh, and that adds to the dis- disorientation of it as well, where we're trapped with, we, we get three characters the entire movie and they're our storytellers and we get trapped with them for their third of the movie. It's that, it was also a unique way of doing a, a movie of this material, I think. And the, the tension was built really casually, too. Like, even that scene you just mentioned where the friend is walking through the hallway, right. it's kind of a long tracking shot, sort of following her around the corners. Yeah. And even at that point where you, I guess you kind of know the killer's not there yet, you're still like, oh, my God, this could start right now. Yeah. It's like it, it. It weirdly makes me think of The Shining, where yeah, um, where the kids riding the the trace trace down the hallway, and of course that one does end in sort of a scary part where the twin girls are sitting right there. But like that movie plays with this idea of like it it looms, so that's enough to scare you. We don't have to do all the work. The fact that it's coming is enough to be scary. And of course, this isn't a movie just to scare, but it does have a, a really good almost horror movie effect where. I mean, my heart, my heart was racing. I was on the edge of my seat for the entire time. It was extremely stressful. Gosh, was it stressful? Yeah, it was like physically demanding. Yeah. Like if this was longer than an hour and seventeen minutes, I don't know what I would have done. I was just gonna say, and there were a couple of times where I felt like bailing on the movie. I was like, I kept yeah. checking how much time was left, and I can't believe there's so much left. Yeah, I was glad that they did it the way they did it, where they sort of reframe things in that third act with the girl where she, the guy thinks she died initially because she's playing dead because she thinks the killer is coming back into the room. Right. But she turns out to be alive because if it had actually just gone on following the shooting around for 40 more minutes, I would not have made it. Yep. But the way that they reframed it made it uh, sort of reinvigorated yeah. the film a little bit while also keeping things respectful, I thought. Yeah. And Although, that's a tough thing to do yeah. with something like this because the event probably, I mean, I don't, I don't actually know this, but the whole event probably was only 15 or 20 minutes long. And there, other lesser maybe filmmakers might have spent too much time investing in backstory or creating a new backstory because they're using fictional characters or doubling down on events and trying to retell the same thing over and over again where he did extend the shooting itself by sort of giving different perspectives, but it was creatively and fairly seamlessly done to where I didn't feel like we were rehashing the same thing over and over again. And I didn't feel like we got too much of them trying to kill time either. Yeah. What did you make of the guy? So the guy you mentioned, I, f- I forgot his name already. 
Jean-Francois. Yeah, what did you make of his sort of ending? I mean, he kills himself. He yeah. points his, uh, what do you call it, gas tank in the car and then just... Yeah, the exhaust. He connects the exhaust pipe to his window and then closes right. all the windows. And yeah, yeah. I thought that was... I mean, it was tragic, obviously. It might... Like, that that sort of thing, um, it makes sense. Like, that... I don't know how you would tell his story that much differently. The temptation for this movie is to sort of rejoice with the survivors of, like, the movie ends. Like, the the horror movie problem, a problem with a lot of horror movies, where in, like, Scream or these mass shooting or terrorist attack movies, is the temptation is just say, once they survive the terrorist attack, they're fine. Oh, we'll talk more about that in a minute, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, I I was glad that they, they played his out. It sucks that he died, and obviously I wish he didn't, but... Like, that is a believable, realistic It was interesting, too, that in that moment, you obviously think that the girl died. And, like, oh, he's, yeah, he killed yeah. himself because he couldn't save her. It ends up being more complicated, like everything else in this movie, where he killed himself even though she survived. Like, he still felt so guilty about those other girls. And yep. just walking out of that room, as you mentioned, in that moment, that he just couldn't take it anymore i guess i do want to talk about the main girl uh gosh i'm so bad at character names in like every movie valerie but valerie yeah because the way that the movie ends is really fascinating regarding everything we've been talking about with humanity and evil and like you just mentioned surviving and getting a happy ending and everything like that like there's a scene with the guy that we were just talking about where he's sitting on his bed flickering a lighter, basically, flicking it on and off. I guess it's a little on the nose, but it's sort of, you kind of get this feeling of, like, life is like that, you know? Like, yeah. it, it could just be, like, on or off. And mm-hmm. there's something about that that was really powerful that sort of plays into this girl at the end where it skips forward a little bit. She's got her internship which I, I can't tell if that was still... I guess that must have been years later, right? Or, or were we supposed to assume that was still just her internship? I would think years later. I mean, her hair was a different color. So oh, that's well. how we know. <laughs> that, was a, that was a 2011 or 1991 haircut right there. That's, I would think a couple years later because it looks like a full job. And she has to meet this guy and start dating him. So. But basically what was, time. what was powerful to me is that she had been faced with that flickering lighter basically like she lived on the edge of that in that moment and she made the conscious choice to keep living her life in a way to like just the, the thing i wrote down was like that i was impressed by just the quiet heroism of just living and a.o scott actually i read this the new york times review at the time he wrote, this is a little different than what I'm saying, but he, he said that decency is more powerful than savagery, which I thought was a good thesis statement for this movie, sort of. And her thing is interesting because she is not, she's still very visibly troubled by it still. Like, that's not like, she hasn't, she doesn't get over it at all. That's part of it, too. Like, she's waking up constantly from nightmares. She's still throwing up from it. She's still like, it's still yeah. very much a part of her. She's just, she just made the different decision than Jean-Francois made of trying to fight through it. And that's why it's so heroic for her to keep living, right? Because life is not like easy or happy for her a lot of the time. That's why it was a really cool 
moment to end on where apparently she's pregnant and right. she goes to was it the grave of the killer or the grave of the killer's mom? Well, she's she's writing the letter to the person she says she's never going to meet, which is the mom. So right. it could go either way. Yeah. Because she's pregnant, I wrote down some excerpts from this because it was pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I think I, wrote I, th- I think Villeneuve yeah. wrote this movie actually. I think it was the last movie that he wrote before. Yeah, yeah I think he co-wrote it with somebody. Jacques Davis. She said, for the second time in my life, I'm afraid. Which, like... Yeah. Like, we're talking about, like, she's afraid because she doesn't want her child to have to live, like, in fear like she does, right? Yeah. And Well, that's what she says, like, she's like, your son is dead and I'm alive, but he's free and I'm not. Or she's yeah, like, how about still, that? Oof. Yeah, that was a heavy one. <laughs> But then she says something interesting about, and I didn't write this down, so you might have to clarify if you did, but how she's like, if it's a boy, did you write that part down? She's like, if it's a boy. Yes, I wrote down, here, I'll just read the last part of it, because I wrote the whole last part down. Okay. Everyone tells me how strong I am. I've had enough of being strong. Sometimes I want to shout from the rooftops how I've been hurt. I want to curl up in a ball. I'm tired of carrying that weight. I'm tired of being afraid. I will stand on my own. If I have a boy, I'll teach him how to love. If I have a girl, I'll teach her the world is hers. Yeah, that was the part. That was good. I thought you were going to say something about it. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I mean, it was like a very, like, overtly sort of feminist thing. But also, like, I don't know, she's not abandoning her kids. She believes in them. She's not saying, like, she's saying she's afraid, and she's saying she's sort of, like, struggling with this constantly, and, She's not free, but that she's still going to raise her kids. She's not going to not bring kids into the world just because the world is such a messed up place. She still believes in goodness and decency of savagery, I guess. Yeah, and she says also in that note at the end that he opened her eyes to how much hatred there can be in the world. I feel like the overwhelming theme or thesis or whatever that kind of stuck with me is the way that an act of evil is more than just an act because it, it it draws everyone into it forever. And it draws you together inextricably with that perpetrator also. Like, even the last shot, I thought this was poetic and powerful too. With the killer in the classroom, he kills himself, he shoots himself. And then there's the an overhead touches. shot zooming out over him and it looks like a teacher that he shot yeah it's a teacher at the board yeah as the camera pans out or zooms out or whatever it is in black and white but you see his blood and the teacher's blood like pool together yeah and i felt like that was a really clear example of what i'm saying where like evil good decency like I'm obviously not justifying, like, it's horrible, but, like, it connects everyone regardless, like, in a this weird, just human mode. Like, this, mo- this movie was, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words in a much different way than I was for the last movie, I could say, because it, yes. <laughs> it, I understood what was happening, but it's about something that we can't understand. It's a good way to put it. Though we don't know that the last movie wasn't about something that we can't understand also. That's yes, true. I think that, I think I 
sort of the biggest things about this movie for me is, is the fact that like, it does not shy away from how connected everybody is. Like you're saying where like he very easily in the beginning shots. And even when he walks into rooms holding a gun and people never once they freak out instantly. Like it's yeah. almost like a, almost like a corruption of innocence thing where like they trust him, like they innately kind of just trust people because that's what's, why would they have any other reason to where they see a person with a gun like, Oh, that's weird. Or, Oh, Hey, or they're not even thinking about it. And it's not until that he starts shooting that any sort of reaction starts happening. And that's and it. Like it's this weird mingling of humanity. And that's symbolized by the blood literally mingling together at the end and all mixing together. And you, and it's all shot at this ground level of first person, second person style shots where you're, you're very much in it with them. And that is almost like, roping you into what happened i just was really impressed by the complexity of it you know like i I really felt like it didn't pull any punches in any way like i feel like the ending is optimistic and kind of motivational in a weird way but at the same time it really is sad and horrible you know i I just Mm -hmm. thought the way that everything was balanced was really it was really well calibrated and it's just a really powerful movie i think yeah i agree i I do have one more question just filmmaking wise that we didn't touch on there are a few weird decisions getting into and out of scenes i thought that i was just curious what you thought about them like there's one scene where the camera like goes sideways into the library there's a couple there's a couple of those there's a couple like world turned upside down things and and then the final scene before the credits is an upside down I, I don't know what you would call it like it's like the camera's just driving upside down on a school hallway with lights just going under yeah yeah i think a lot of that is sort of the inversion of of normalcy i guess and like this like or, or perversion of it and a lot of it i think the first two instances of it's happening the first one in the library where it's it's almost like you're climbing a ladder and it's the bookshelves or whatever is like this almost foreshadowingly like eerie and disorienting thing. And I think it leads right into, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying other than it is disorienting. It is, it's, it's unsettling. It's really what it is for me, at least Um, where it leads you right into Jean Francois sitting at his cubicle and he's writing something down. And the first 30 minutes of the movie, or it's really the entire movie, I guess the only instances you see of anyone writing anything down are, John Francois writing something down, taking notes or something. And like literally the scene before it, one minute before is the killer writing something down the same way on the same type of paper, uh, his suicide note. And it's like this weird connectivity, but the transition between that is this extremely off putting off centered, uh, sideways shot. And another big one is the one where the, uh, Jean Francois is driving to his mom's house and it's like this huge overhead, like Jerome style shot, but it's like upside down panning. And that is kind of like, I don't know what that is saying, but to me, it, like, it feels like the slow turning of him. Like, yes, there's the inversion of the event itself, but like the slow aftermath of him descending into what ended up culminating in his death also, I think, is, is visually showed by that. You know what I would say? And I, I've been thinking about this a lot because this Twin Peaks return thing, which I hope we'll talk about one day. For sure has largely been about good and evil. And I don't know if you've seen this episode yet, but there's an episode that is kind of about the introduction of evil into the world, sort of. 
Mm-hmm. And what struck me about that last shot of the upside down hallway is this idea that once evil's introduced into the world or into your world and innocence is lost, you can't go back. You know, mm-hmm. the world is upside down from then on, whether you want it to be or not. That was what I got from the ending. Yeah, they should have kept it. They should have kept it upside down through it. As soon as they walked <laughs> it. The whole movie upside down. Uh, and some of the crazier things I just noted that I'm just going to get to just because is... Uh, some, some news and notes here. <laughs> some news and notes. Yeah, trying to just decompress. Just miscellaneous <laughs> or yeah, exactly. And also because it's just worth mentioning that that I think really lends to this uh, unexpectedness of the movie uh, is Jean-Francois ends up like he's helping a bunch of people and he ends up getting away from the killer and then reuniting with him sort of. He gets seen by the killer in the hallway and he ducks into a room to get Nachia shot. And he's in this frat having a really loud party. In the middle, 15 minutes into a school shooting, it's this completely unawares frat. And, and they do this a few times in the movie where it's, they'll enter a room and he's like covered in blood and people are like just going about their normal day. And we've, we've hammered this down already about how unexpected and disorienting and how slow you're going to be to react in the situation but it just but also how think. normal it felt in and around that event yeah. like we were talking about like everything every shot in this movie feels really thought out yes i agree um do you, do you notice what they're covering in chemistry yeah i think it's chemistry some the engineering class or whatever oh i didn't it was like they're talking about how if you put enough pressure on an isotope or something like it has a certain amount of energy that it needs to explode or it needs to it felt it felt a little a little too relevant. A little like, on the nose. A little on the nose. It was. It was like if it's if its environment presses down on it too much and causes too much pressure, then it's gonna excite the particle and make it react or something. I was like, come on, that's yeah. is just that felt unnecessary to me. But it might one not. one off note. One off note and a symphony of pretty good notes. I feel pretty comfortable saying, although to Stuff be fair, up. to Maelstrom, didn't understand it. Didn't it could be. Is Magnum Opus. I'm pretty comfortable saying this is the best movie we've yes. watched so far from yeah. August 32nd on Earth, Maelstrom, and this Polytechnique, which you can go back and listen to those podcasts, obviously, but I feel pretty comfortable. I'm pretty sure this was the best one so far. Yeah, yeah. We'll Anything else from, from you? Nope. I need to get back to my Seinfeld kick just so I can see light again. Ugh. Oh, yeah. what, what can I go watch? Like Kimmy Schmidt or something? That's pretty positive. Like a, something bright. Something with a lot of colors. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I wish I had a poetic note to end us on here, but I don't know. I, I guess it's not your fault, right? That's always a great movie line. Oh man, I almost cried at that part. It's not your fault. That one hit me really hard. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> Next up, y'all. We got Incendies, which I haven't done any nice. research on yet. Let me tell Not you sure it. what it's about. I know it's the last French film in this series as we work our way through. Uh. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me, Sam. And thanks for being you, whoever you are. <laughs> it's just us re-listening to this later. Oh, yeah. No, I'm... I, I just want myself to feel good when I'm editing it. Good. Me too. You're a good guy, Taylor. Future Taylor. <laughs> Not current Taylor. Present Taylor? Nah. Nah. Alright, give us some music, Levi. Give us some uh, positive vibes. Get us out of here. Mm-hmm.
Thanks, Levi. Bye. Foxworthy Podcast.